This is a Snow India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. Hello and welcome to another episode of Climate Emergency. This is your host Rakesh Kamal. So, in this episode, I talked to two very interesting people, Siddharth Singh and Simon Bennett. They both work at the International Energy Agency. Interestingly, they have started a podcast recently called Innovation Frontlines. It deals with clean energy innovation. So, I spoke with both of them about their new podcast, the challenges innovators are facing in clean energy space and how important innovation is. Full disclosure, I'm also the producer of Innovation Frontlines, which means I get to listen to their episodes before any one of you can. Anyways, let's get straight to the episode. Welcome Siddharth and Simon to Climate Emergency. Okay, hi, my name is, is Simon Bennett. I'm an energy analyst here at the International Energy Agency. We're an intergovernmental agency. Uh, we're based in, in Paris, but we have a, a global outlook and we work primarily on the, the policy issues that face the climate, energy, and energy security challenges that the world faces today. Uh, personally, I'm involved in a number of the, the key projects of the IEA, including the World Energy Outlook, our work on tracking energy investment through the World Energy Investment Report, and of particular relevance to this conversation, I'm leading some work where we're looking at what are the effective government policies that are accelerating the development of new clean energy technologies in order to bring forward energy transitions more quickly and ensure that we have the, the technologies that we need in place. And we've had some really interesting uh, projects in the last couple of years, looking in particular at uh, emerging and developing economies, including India. Um, and so that's really the uh, what's behind the uh, the work that we've been doing on the Innovation Frontlines podcast. And uh, can you also introduce yourself and talk about your work at IES with that? Uh, sure. Hi, Rakesh. Uh, firstly, thanks very much for, for having us on the podcast. Uh, so I'm actually a consultant for the International Energy Agency based in India, and I've been working here for the past about four and a half years. Uh, in fact, I was the first such consultant for the IEA based in India. So you could say my role was a bit of an experiment uh, at the time when it started. So, uh, you know, at, you know when, over the years, I've pretty much done everything that is needed of me uh, to help further IA's strategic objectives in India, but also contribute to the substantive analysis that they do, uh, you know, in a range of sectors, including electric vehicles and, and just the overarching energy system. For example, my last major project was the India Energy Outlook 2021 which I uh, co-led and it was, of course, there's a huge IEA team that works on such projects. And uh, the idea was to explore India's uh, energy demand, supply and carbon emissions pathways for the next few decades. In fact, one of our uh, scenarios was uh, uh, the sustainable development scenario, which looked at net zero emissions by 2070, a little before 2070, which, uh, you know, as we all know, has since become policy of the government of India. I'm not saying that the IA's uh, scenario led to that, but but we did definitely have uh, some cons- consultations with the government. So it's good to see, uh, you know, our work having a substantive impact as far as 
government policies go. Uh, of course, today I'm uh, involved in a bunch of things. Uh, you know, one of my most important focus areas being India's G20 presidency, which India will assume later this year and will uh, have up, you know, until the end of next year. So there are a lot of projects and, uh, you know, interesting things happening on that front. And uh, I'm basically involved in a bunch of those. Uh, today, though, we are going to talk about one project that you both are involved in, which I am also involved in as a producer. Uh, so today, if you can talk a little bit about your new podcast, Innovation Frontlines, uh, if you can talk a little about it and uh, why you have chosen to do this podcast, that would be you know, of great help to the listeners. So Rakesh, I mean, you know, it's something that you have, of course, been discussing uh, on your podcast, but I guess we all agree here that climate change has emerged as one of the major challenges of our generation. It's one that is uh, bringing together governments and people and activists the world over. And, uh, you know, as we try to grapple on how we can change our energy systems, which is uh, at the heart of the uh, climate change problem today. So, uh, you know, to act on climate, we need to ultimately bring down green, greenhouse gas emissions to zero on a net basis, which basically means that uh, the uh, on an annual basis, the amount of emissions, greenhouse gas emissions that we are putting out into the atmosphere is balanced by that that is uh, extracted as a part of the uh, carbon cycle, which includes trees, but also could include technologies such as carbon capture. But the question really is, how do we get to a point where greenhouse gas emissions or carbon emissions specifically get down to zero or close to zero? So there's a you know famous IA study which you know has this uh, very revealing statistic, which is that under a net zero scenario by 2050, that is if we are to get to zero carbon emissions or a net zero carbon emissions by the year 2050, about 50 percent of the emission reductions by then will come from technologies that are not yet available to purchase in the markets today. So these are not technologies that are fully developed. These are not technologies uh, that are commercially available today. One of our major objectives was to understand what does this really mean at the grassroots, right? What are these technologies? What, what are the major challenges that these technologies are facing in, in their path towards commercialization? What do the timelines look like? And really, what are the stories of the entrepreneurs and the innovators with, who are eventually going to bring these clean energy technologies to the marketplace? Uh, and to understand this, our idea was to speak with innovators, to, to speak with entrepreneurs and understand their personal stories. What Siddharth says is exactly the, the foundation for the, for the conversation that we wanted to have and that we wanted to, to make public as well um, with, with as large an audience as, as possible. Now, I'm a technology analyst at the, at the IEA, but a lot of what we do is really looking at, at policy and how do governments, you know, in this area in particular, how do, what role do they play in, in helping inventors and innovators to have new ideas, to support them to bring their new solutions to, uh, you know, to prototype level and then to demonstration level and then to, to eventually get them into the market. And we'd been having some engagement with the Indian government, some different parts of the Indian government who are really, really interested in this problem. And it's a really exciting space, I think, at the moment, India, in terms of the, the ambition of the government and what's happening on the ground. 
but you know there were questions that they were asking us about the the right policy environment and how to develop an active and thriving energy innovation ecosystem that we couldn't simply answer by telling them what is happening in other countries like the United States or Germany or or the United Kingdom or or Australia because you know the unique nature of uh, of, of India is relevant, but also the fact that uh, in many ways in, it's more like a, an emerging or developing country than it is uh, one of the more advanced economies. And so we felt we needed to find out what was happening on the ground. If new technologies were going to be brought to the market from Indian innovators, what was that going to actually look like in practice? What was the the challenges that were being faced? What were the uh, the barriers and the existing support. And rather than have these conversations in private, making notes in our notebooks and then trying to write a, uh, a policy document, we thought, wouldn't this be you know, a really, really useful and interesting resource if we made those conversations public and actually brought the, the, the stories of the, uh, the startups themselves into the public sphere because that's going to be good for, for publicity. And the IA has never tried anything like this before. This was something new that we thought would be a different way to do the analysis behind the, the IA reports that are very widely read uh, and to, to make the, the information as transparent as possible. Uh, it remains something of an experiment. We've been extremely pleased to see this uh, go live just a few weeks ago now and to have some some great feedback already. Uh, but we're looking forward to uh, to hearing more about how this type of model can, can be used, maybe by others as well as the IEA. Yeah, indeed. It is a very interesting podcast uh, since I've been listening to it and it's very inspiring too. Uh, but, you know, uh, why did you think that innovation is important, right? And how it is relevant to this field? Um, I mean, you could have just chosen the, uh, you could have just chosen you know, new technologies and not necessarily focus on innovation. But I know for a fact that this show has innovation and, uh, you know, uh, the new technologies that we're talking about, which are game changers. Um, why did you choose innovation as a theme? For At the global level, I think Siddharth already mentioned that we did some of this analysis about you know, where the technologies that are needed in order to reach a, a net zero emissions future stand today. And the fact that some of them you know, have not yet been demonstrated. What that means is that in certain sectors, in certain places where we have to reduce emissions, you cannot go out and buy an off-the-shelf technology solution that will reduce the emissions and buy that with all of the sufficient technology guarantees and financing uh, in a, a normal commercial way. Those technologies need to be developed at scale. They need to be proven in the, the regulatory context. So this number around the, the half of emissions that we need to avoid needing to come from these technologies at an earlier stage of development, this is very good for catching the imagination and for helping policymakers understand that it's not just about taking existing technologies and understanding what policies get them deployed. It's actually about supporting the process of technology improvement and development uh, through its life cycle and to do that as quickly as possible, try to accelerate it if possible so that we do it faster, much, much faster than even something like solar photovoltaic uh, was brought into the market. And that took many, many decades. And we need to compress this now 
into you know like time scales of a, of a decade or so for, uh, you know, for each technology that's getting towards the market. But once we've got people's attention on this kind of headline number, I think it's really useful to explain as well that even the technologies that we do have, they're not perfectly adapted for all of the different applications and contexts of the global energy system. And when you look at uh, the, the challenge of decarbonizing a country like India, what we see is a very large amount of the, uh, the capital that is going to be spent on modernizing and expanding the energy system globally in the next few decades will be in emerging markets. And those emerging markets often have specific contexts in terms of their climate, their geography, uh, their ability to, uh, for consumers to pay for, for new services. These things require an adaptation of, of technology that generally comes from local engineers, local uh, inventors, local uh, combinations of local incubators and policymakers. And so that's why we wanted in particular to look at the, the case of innovators in India at this earlier stage. Um, because without those technologies, without those adaptations to the local context, we won't even get the existing suite of technologies uh, deployed uh, in all of the places in the world where it's going to be most needed in the next few decades. And uh, I mean, as uh, you know, people working in the field, as experts, uh, was there anything that surprised you from the podcast? Uh, any major takeaways that you have from the podcast that you know, you'd like to share? Sure, uh, Rakesh. I think, uh, you know, our discussions with uh, these various innovators revealed a few very interesting points. I mean, it'll be very hard to summarize across uh, their experiences because, of course, have had very different lives. They're dealing with very different subsectors. For example, some could be dealing with, uh, you know, high technology sectors, uh, including, you know, uh, the chemistry of batteries and so on. The others could be dealing with the more human problem of while scaling up in rural areas, the kind of socioeconomic challenges that you may have to face there. So, of course, uh, you know, everyone has a, a wide variety of experiences. But having said that, there are a few things that are, you know, that perhaps run in common uh, through uh, through some of these innovators, if not all. Uh, you know, firstly, it's that India's innovators have benefited, firstly, from India's own uh, exceptional technology institutes. This includes IITs uh, and the likes, but also from international education, collaboration, financing, and more. So I think the international angle here has been very uh, prevalent across the various innovators that we have spoken to. So uh, as India develops its own you know, energy innovation policies, I think it will have to keep that in mind. How can we leverage international institutions, international financing, international know-how, research, and all of that towards India's own climate uh, objectives? So I think that will perhaps play a very important role uh, as we think about uh, what what innovation means at the grassroots um, another uh, you know facet that came out is that it's not always that energy innovation policies or innovation policies per se uh, are the major drivers in innovation while they do play a very important role especially in the time of you know incubation in the time of providing that that runway that 
uh, startups need to get a product uh, you know in the r and d stage to actually reach a demonstration uh, stage but besides that what's perhaps a larger in incentive or a bigger incentive in scaling up and commercialization is the policies that exist at the marketplace so we are talking about you know the regulatory aspects of distribution companies for example they're power distribution companies so you know are there incentives there that can encourage the uptake of more innovative technologies are there incentives for energy efficiency are there incentives towards uh, you know grid flexibility that includes batteries so those kind of policies have an uh, very important role in innovation and i think that is something that we need to understand as we approach this this uh, innovation problem yeah i think this is such a good point that sidat is making here that the the people that we've spoken to and they are covering you know a wide range of different technology areas from in chemical solutions to uh, trapped carbon dioxide from chimney stacks to uh, people working in the field with with farmers on you know more efficient solar pumps and then a, a whole range of innovations around around mobility nobody said to us that they had gone into this field to try to invent something because the government had said or they'd read in a policy document that there was a, a, a gap in the technology every one of them had looked at the sort of the landscape uh, in their field or they'd spoken to people who had a particular business problem and they'd identified a way that it could be improved commercially today and come up with an offering that people would want to uh, to adopt in, in the current context not trying to solve this big 2070 problem in the in in the policy documents and so you know this is the, the in a way this is the nature of innovation it's the nature of being an entrepreneur trying to spot these opportunities also in the short term but it's especially true in a co very cost conscious society like india and everything that is done in terms of shaping the market and creating the confidence that electric vehicles are going to be uh, you know going to be demanded going to become uh, an attractive consumer product or that there's going to be a, a pricing system in, in electricity for industrial or residential consumers that incentivizes them uh, to optimize their electricity use. The more that can be done to shape this market, the more people will invent, the more people will, uh, will spot these opportunities without you know, the, the policies need, needing necessarily to be technology policies uh, specifically. And so I think that's been a really interesting observation in the case of uh, India. And if I can just add to that, Simon, in fact, uh, uh, since Rakesh had asked also, what's the one thing that perhaps surprised us the most? Now, uh, in my case, I think one of the more surprising things was that most of these innovators uh, and entrepreneurs uh, did not necessarily seek to disrupt the established energy players today as much as they wanted to collaborate with them, work with them, and perhaps use their resources to to bring their technologies to the marketplace and to expand and make it mainstream because uh, i think there's a very unique characteristic about clean energy technologies is that they require high capital uh, upfront because of the nature of those technologies and they also need longer time frames 
uh, in which they actually can then reach the scales that are needed to become commercially viable for that it's it's unlike for example software uh, development where uh, a, a new social media could perhaps uh, disrupt an existing social media platform in the matter of a few months or or a, or a few years in the case of clean energy technology development just due to the very nature of those technologies it could take several years in fact sometimes even a decade so keeping those things in mind i think a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs were very open to work with established energy players the idea was to uh, help leverage on their insights their access to capital uh, their uh, in house talent in terms of engineers and so on to help scale up these new energy technologies yeah i mean even as a listener uh, what uh, surprised me was the optimism uh, that uh, innovators have right that, that most of them i think said that you know before 2017 india will um, you know become net zero and uh, it feels very positive when you listen to it from you know people who are trying to make that change and i felt that quite a lot and it was something that yeah was very interesting you're absolutely correct i think you need to be a certain type of person to to think that you're creating technologies that could potentially have a major role to play in the future you tend to be optimistic about the future or at least you deal with problems in in a way that you know solutions are important for you to seek i think it's very different uh, uh, you know for researchers including myself where when we try to analyze a problem we are trying to be more skeptical we are trying to you know think through what the problems are even and even though we look at solutions also we tend to understand and appreciate the nature of challenges which perhaps makes us less of optimists compared to some of these innovators who tend to of course uh, you know uh, uh, be very gangho about the potential of their technologies as they rightly should be definitely and uh, you know uh, we were talking about uh, policy changes that the government can do to support these innovators what else can the government do i mean policy changes is one thing what else do you, do you think uh, are the things that the government should do to make innovation first i mean it's it's a great question rakesh because innovation is one of those areas that gets very very complicated very very quickly once you start to to analyze all of the different factors that go into whether or not you know somebody is going to focus on a problem and whether they're going to be able to to get their solution to market and it quite quickly becomes i think overwhelming for for governments to work out what is the the magic formula here but there's a few simple things that i think that any government can do in order to uh to enhance their chances of success and it's critical here to to think not just in the global way that the IEA often thinks but also in terms of the local benefits that having a healthy clean energy entrepreneurial ecosystem brings at the same time and um, because we're looking at you know, one of the biggest potential industrial revolutions this century in terms of the deployment of clean energy technologies the countries that are home to the uh the entrepreneurs and the gr- fast growing companies that are going to be part of those value chains those companies are going to tap into the the prosperity that goes along with that and i think also this is something that we looked at in our first episode of the podcast there's a virtuous cycle in terms of being able to to 
make stronger climate policy at the same time as you're helping your own uh, companies and the, the value chains that are going to enhance and grow the economy um, in, in the place where the policy is being made. So we shouldn't be, be sniffy about you know, the, the hard-nosed economic interests of people in this space. We should try to align them to the extent possible. So if you're a country, a government that's trying to make, you know, raise the chances of your researchers being successful at uh, bringing forward some of these new technologies, then obviously you can make sure that the, uh, you know, the engineers and the, uh, the, the skills are there in the research centers and that those are, are very well funded. And you can direct the search towards some of the key energy pro uh, problems of our time. So that's number one. You can also uh, make sure that the, uh, the, the incubators of which the, the system of incubators in India is extremely strong. You can make sure that those uh, incubators and the people that are going to support the entrepreneurs to develop their business plans have a very strong grounding in energy and are working with an investment community that also understands the energy uh, sector and the timescales for developing um, hardware, especially uh, things like battery chemistries, things like uh, you know, renewable energy technologies that take a little bit longer to come to market than uh, the technologies of many other startups. And then I think there's two other really important pieces that are also forgotten, and it's the power of the, of the market to, to incentivize and pull new technologies through. So setting these goals like net zero 2050 and then populating a strategy with milestones for when uh, certain emissions need to be cut or technologies need to be deployed, how quickly uh, renewables are going to penetrate the grid or electric vehicles into the market. That I think sets a, sends a very, very strong message to, uh, to entrepreneurs and, and inventors. And the very last thing I think that brings a lot of this together is that if we're going to do this in a way that is as quick as possible and allows people to tap into markets that are as large as possible, we need to do it internationally and not just at home. And so that's where you know, a number of initiatives to make sure that uh, problems are being tackled globally, we're sharing experiences, and that startups from one country can find a soft landing in another country. Uh, those things are going to be you know, increasingly important, I think, in order to make sure that we meet our, our climate challenges. Uh, so, from your experience, you know, of talking to so many entrepreneurs uh, who are trying to make a difference, if you switch sides and, you know, uh, for a listener who is hearing to these guys, uh, what is the advice that you want to give to them, uh, these young women and men who are listening to this podcast? Is there some advice that you want to give out of all the experience that you've got uh, by talking to these entrepreneurs? Sure. So, uh, Rakesh, I think... Uh, of course, the people who would be best placed to give that advice are the entrepreneurs themselves who may have experienced it firsthand. But I would say from my perspective and having spoken to them, uh, you know, especially in India's context, I would say that in India's case, much of India's growth lies ahead of it. In fact, IEA's analysis shows that uh, over the next two decades, the energy demand growth in India will be larger than that of any other region in the world more than China, more than the entire continent of Africa or South America or Southeast Asia. So 
we have a lot of growth and development ahead of us. Uh, this gives us an extremely important opportunity to ensure that this future growth is uh, does not have the same carbon intensive pathway that has existed through much of the modern history of uh, of our various economies. So India has that opportunity and now with a net zero target, now with this innovation ecosystem, there couldn't be a better time to actually get innovating. So, you know, if you are young, if you are in your universities today, uh, think of the grand challenges of our time. And if you are able to think of what could potentially be solutions that you can work on, I'm pretty certain there will be uh, uh, those uh, institutions and people who are ready to help you make those dreams into realities. So if there was a good time to get into clean energy innovation, into clean technology innovation, uh, there, you know, that time is today and there couldn't be a better time. Yeah, I really couldn't agree with that that more. Now is now is the moment. And we have this great moment as well in terms of being able to say with some clarity that the the coming together of governments at the last climate conference in Glasgow last year to make some of these pledges to really eliminate fossil fuel emissions from from the global economy those were enabled by technology uh, in to, to some extent we have this understanding now of what it what technologies can deliver in terms of getting uh, getting cheaper, the mass production of, of solar panels, wind turbines, batteries, um, that is giving a lot more confidence to to the climate challenge. And I think that the the entrepreneurs that we're speaking to are really learning from that and saying, well, this can be solved, you know, to a large extent in a number of different places as a technology challenge rather than just the the sort of almost overwhelming um, high level societal challenge that it sometimes looks like on paper. And when you get down to the, the granularity of what needs to be done, you can see that almost you know, each and every facet of this, this challenge can be improved by some little improvement in, in technology. And that's not just about the, the big technologies around power generation, but the little things as well that are going to help consumers to you know, adjust and modify their behavior in a simpler way as possible and help them to, to save energy and save money at the same time. So what I am really hoping that this podcast is able to do is to inspire people uh, around the, the, the climate challenge to understand that uh, you know, technology is not going to save us on, on its own, but that we have some of the most brilliant minds in the world at the moment, focused on many of the uh, breaking down these problems into little bite-sized pieces. And that's really going to go much, much quicker than, than we expect it to. And you speak to some of them, you hear about their optimism, and you truly believe that progress might feel slow in the short term, but that we're going to look back from, from 2030 and 2040 and you know, barely be able to, to uh, comprehend what life was like in 2022 because technology will have changed so fast. So uh, if you can tell a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, who are the entrepreneurs who are talking uh, in the podcast and uh, the themes that they're covering. Yeah, thanks, Rakesh. I mean, with, with pleasure, I 
just mention some of the the brilliant people that that we've spoken to because it's them who have really made this this podcast not only enjoyable for us but uh, of interest I think to to everybody out there. And of course, it's a relatively non-scientific sample. Uh, we reached out to people to try to cover a, a range of technologies that would be needed in order to uh, to tackle emissions from different parts of the, the energy sector and the and the economy in general. So, just picking a few of those that that show some of this diversity, you know, we spoke at the the beginning of our series to Anirud from a company called Carbon Clean, and what they are doing is developing a what they call a, a modular system that could be much cheaper than any of the other products on the market globally for extracting the carbon dioxide out of um, the, the smokestacks of the power sector or industrial companies before that carbon dioxide can get into the air and contribute to, to climate change. And the idea is that the, the CO2 that is captured can then be treated and compressed and, and pumped underground where it will no longer be able to do harm to the environment. It's a problem people have been working on for, for 20 or more years and really interesting to see you know, from left field and from, a, from an institute in, in India, uh, a, a group of brilliant engineers putting together a, a proposition that's different to what else is on the market and then getting the recognition and starting to get some, some contracts in Europe and elsewhere in the world. And almost at the other end of the spectrum, we've been speaking to, uh, to Victor from, from Kateworks, and they're looking at the problems with the use of diesel and kerosene for uh, pumping water for irrigation in the agricultural sector. It's a totally different problem with a totally different set of stakeholders. It's not something that's often on the radar of the climate Policymakers, certainly not at the International Energy Agency, but you know they're tackling a specific problem for for these agriculturalists in terms of the costs of the the fuel and how they can replace that with with fossil fuel and what type of system uh, is going to get uptake. Uh, and it's it's more of a sort of social entrepreneurship model. And again, they've uh, in in line with this idea of sort of international exchange of ideas. They've brought some some of the work that they've done in in the United States uh, to, to India to find exactly the right market fit uh, for what they're doing, and then we have a really interesting conversation I thought with uh, Akshay from Log9, uh, which is a company that's been working on some some quite deep tech technologies around aluminium uh, fuel cells and the different ways in which they can provide services for, for mobility and also for energy storage, and taking up a, you know, a challenge that people thought was you know, broadly being solved by some combination of batteries and, and hydrogen, and looking at it in a, in a completely different way, and uh, bringing a, a technology to the market that hasn't been you know, widely discussed before, and what's interesting, I think, about their story is how they are building product upon product on the uh, the foundation, the technical foundation that they're they're developing. Um, then some of the other things you'll hear about through the podcast involve um, batteries and mobility, uh, and uh, some of the other social challenges around. 
the the rural poor in India and and how to get more solar power into those areas. So it's a great variety, and I think that's its strength in many ways. So uh, lastly, any books or podcasts you want to suggest? So Rakesh, I think there's been an uh, explosion of uh, good books and podcasts and other you know material out there on uh, climate change. So uh, I'm not going to get into too many of them, but uh, a few of my favorites include uh, firstly a podcast called Peak Planet, uh, which is hosted by Karthik Ganesan of uh, CEW, which is a think tank based in India. There's a, a episode in particular on air pollution, which I really like. So I think uh, they've done a really good job in trying to uh, deconstruct uh, various environmental and climate issues and and uh, figured out you know ways ahead in terms of how we can solve them. Uh, there's another podcast by Shreya Das Gupta called Imagine Tomorrow, which I also like. There's a very nice episode, uh, especially on electric mobility in India, which I think uh, would answer most of the questions that most people have on uh, on you know what is electric mobility, how will it help uh, or not help. Uh, the air pollution challenge and the uh, greenhouse gas emission challenge and what are the other issues that surround it in terms of manufacturing and so on so it's a it's a very good episode and uh, if there's a book i could recommend it would be uh, india in a warming world which is edited by navroz dubash uh, and i think uh, although this book is published by an academic publisher which is uh, oxford university press what i really like about it is it's it's extremely a uh, simple and straightforward manner in which it has talked about the uh, you know climate change problem in india's context so there are very few books like this out there that really look at the challenge in a, such a comprehensive manner so i can't recommend this book enough and the best part this book is available for free online so if you just look up india in a warming world you'll probably find it thank you siddharth and simon for talking to me it was really interesting and i'm sure people will come to your podcast and listen to it for more information thanks very much rakesh for having us on this podcast i think uh, it's been an uh, excellent conversation and my hope is that more people are interested in the innovation question of the climate change story uh, also and that therefore we are actually able to inspire more people to to innovate and to be a part of the solution thank you yeah rakesh thanks so much for inviting us on it's been a great conversation and of course thank you for all of the work you've also done with with innovation frontlines uh, it's been a it's been a great journey so far thank you thank you for listening to this episode of climate emergency you can now download suno india app on your android phone or listen to us on apple podcast spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts